0: as long as you have relationship, you have influence. And I have found that to be true in my own parenting journey, and I've seen it to be true in families across America.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Sex Plus Christian Parent Podcast. I'm Jason here with Thomas, ready to dive into this
2: episode's conversation. Absolutely, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, our guest that we'll mention in a moment And so I look forward to all the fruit that's going to come out of this talk This episode is going to be really helpful Especially I think for you and I as fathers of teen girls
1: Because we're going to be talking about parenting teen girls Understanding, recognizing some of the unique struggles that teen girls face Also some foundational ideas that help parents in this process And we're going to allow for her to introduce herself Here's Jessie
0: My name is Jessie Manassian. I have had a ministry for teen girls for the past 15 years or so um, called loveandgod.com, where I answer questions for teens about anything that they'd like to ask. They can ask anonymously um, or they can share their story or their name. And so I have a really unique view into the teen culture um, because it's a safe place where they feel comfortable talking about what's real and what they're really struggling with. Really, my ministry is just Trying to help these girls, like if they could be in my living room for four years, everything that I would want to teach them about identity and their worth and relationships um, and answering some of those core questions that we as women have.
2: I can't tell you how amazing that is that Jesse takes these anonymous questions and answers them in a culture where we are sometimes so afraid to ask something, to mention a topic, they, these teen girls now have a platform, an opportunity to get their individual questions and thoughts looked at and met with love in a form of an answer from Jesse. This is just fantastic. Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the things I really love
1: is that an anonymous question allows for, I think, more vulnerability in what they're asking and seeking uh, help with. And I, and I, I think that one of the reasons we invited Jesse to be on this episode, this podcast is because she is engaging in some very raw questions uh, in the life of teen girls and, and, and young girls, preteen girls. And so that's why I think what she offers us on this episode is going to be so, so helpful. In fact, uh, listen now as she talks about some of the obstacles teen girls face and communicating with their parents or really anyone about their struggles today.
0: So I think from a teen's perspective, I I think they genuinely, especially for girls, we most, I, I don't want to say all, most girls want to talk we do like we want to be able to have safe places where we can talk about our ideas, where we can maybe be a little bit grumpy, but know that we're always going to be loved, <laughs> which is really unfair of them to want of their parents. <laughs> but but it's true. Like they, they want to know that even if they're emotional or moody or or put out their prickles, that that their parents are going to love them unconditionally and still reach out to them. Um, so so the hindrances that I've seen are when teen girls observe that their parents are judgmental, that will automatically shut them down. And it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be that they see their parents judging them. Although a critical spirit will absolutely shut a teenager down if they feel like they can't do anything right or they'll never measure up in your eyes. Um, And girls especially put a lot of pressure on themselves. So parents, we might not think that we're being really hard on them, but they will perceive and put that pressure on themselves of them being a bad kid or they can't get it right or their parents just their expectations are too high. And so... That's that's one aspect but the other aspect is the way that you're talking about other people can be a hindrance to whether your daughter will open up to you. So for an example, if you are, you know, reading the news and talking about, oh man, those crazy leftists, you know, just you know, cared ruin the country or those super hardcore fundamentalist right wing people who are just ruining our country. That, that narrative I think is, is relevant right now because politically we're in such a hot place as a country. But as when your daughter sees that you judge others for the way that they think or the way that they speak, somehow they internalize that to, I don't know if this is a safe place for me to talk about what I think, politically or socially, um, and if if one day, they- start to talk about things and they could be way out in left field i mean teens some of the things that they come up with some of the kid things my own kids come up with i'm like have we missed it all like <laughs> what have i done wrong as a parent <laughs> but if if they're voicing those like they're kind of wrestling and chewing with things and trying to figure out who they are and what they believe if we jump on that right away and tell them why they're wrong and they shouldn't think that way there's a far less likelihood that they are going to be brave enough to open up about those topics in the future or other topics unrelated about boys or relationships. Um, I think another really important one's for dads, um, we live in a really over sexualized culture. This is no surprise to anybody, but girls are really sensitive to the way that their dads talk about and look at and speak of other women. And so, dads, I would just encourage you to be really respectful um, in the way that you're talking about other women and things that you're watching um, on TV in the home. Um, and just to make sure that, yeah, that you're treating and talking about women in a way that you would to your own daughter um, because she's going to pick up on that in a really kind of sixth sense sort of way.
1: I, I know that for me, Thomas, that one of the reasons I just really appreciate Hearing from Jesse is because uh, I I have a daughter. She's younger. I know you have a daughter, mm-hmm. and I, I think uh, I, it was interesting. I don't know if you ever watched the show This Is Us. Have you ever seen that? Uh, wow. yeah. Yep. Okay. So so there's there's this recent episode, and there was this 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 dialogue that happened that struck me, and and I'm reminded reminded of that here as I listen to Jesse. Uh, there was this back and forth, and one of the children. Uh, And if you've not watched the show, I'm not giving anything away when it kind of really goes through the generations of how, how uh, kids were brought up and, and now they're in the present age going back and forth between present and future and all the ways in which parents have an impact on us and, and how we process things. And there was this phrase that came up and it, it said, the child said, you know, I had the most attentive and loving parents and I can't tell you how much they missed. And as a parent, mm. oh, that just strikes me. And as a child of a, you know, uh, being a son of someone, how true that is. Even when we are the most attentive, and most on fire, and most in love with our kids, we still miss stuff. And that's 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 hard for me to process, especially as a father. Much like Jesse is talking about, and how we treat one another, how we treat our spouses and how often,
2: gosh, I, I fail. Wow. That, that hits me in the same spot because as you mentioned, I do have a daughter. I'm thinking of the times I spend checking on her heart and talking to her. And then the, the, the hole I will fill knowing that I'm still missing something. Um, wow. Wow. Like I just that just that resonates. At the same time, I love Jesse's words and I echo you of the importance of being attentive and drawing close to her and what that says and managing that tension. And that's how I look Mm -hmm. at it in my mind. The balance isn't going to be perfect, but managing the tension well uh, to create an environment that she can thrive in. But boy, that is that's heavy. Yeah, it is. Well, you
1: know, one of the things we asked Jessie about is just even the struggles that she's seen among young girls today. And this is what she had to say.
0: So, the five secret sins I see most commonly with teen girls and college age girls are sexual addiction, eating disorders, self harm, substance abuse and same sex relationships. And I'm careful to distinguish between same sex attraction and same sex relationships when we're talking about um, sin. Um, But those are the things that they're struggling with, I would say most. I was surprised by originally how many girls were struggling with sexual addiction i personally part of my story in growing up i struggled with a sexual addiction for um, over a decade and i thought i was the only one i was you know little miss perfect on the outside super involved in church and youth group and school captain of every sports team and yet there was this secret that i was struggling with that um i thought i had to do battle on my own because i didn't think i could tell anyone or they would think less of me or they would um yeah, it was just a sin that was too gross to talk about. And so it surprised me how many girls uh, came to me and also were sharing that they struggled with that. That was a surprise at the beginning. Now uh, I'm not really surprised by anything. And the trends that I'm seeing are more and more with the culture, just this question about sexual identity. that That's been something that has come by storm these last several years, especially, you know, five years ago, I rarely got questions from girls about, um, whether they were same sex attracted or, you know, could I possibly be a boy trapped in a girl's body? I rarely got questions like that five or 10 years ago. And now it seems like those questions are just exploding. So I definitely would categorize that as a trend um, an upward trend. And trying to help girls get to the bottom of that and wrestle through those questions can be tricky in the culture that we live in today that's telling them, you know, define your identity however you want to.
2: So the first thing I want to say, and this is true, not just myself, but I believe all of us here at Project 619, is we recognize this is a sensitive topic. And there's more conversation to come in future episodes around some of the foundations for this conversation. So what I want to really hit on then is when Jesse mentions uh, the rising issue among young girls and how we don't really discuss that much. And it doesn't seem to be a safe atmosphere in which our ladies can come forward and begin to have the conversation around everything Mm. Jesse mentioned. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's, (laughs) there's a lot here to unpack and I, we're not going to be able to unpack it in this episode uh, you know, she said something that I think is going to be really important, and, and might even stand out for some of our listeners. And she separated same-sex attraction versus same-sex sexual behavior, and those are are very distinct and very clear separations that we we will need to discuss. And you mentioned we're going to talk about that in future episodes, but we really wanted Jesse to unpack this a little bit more, especially when it comes to social contagion
0: just from a research standpoint, it's hard to know if, you know, the media is so loud with this right now. It's hard to know if like actually on the ground, are girls really struggling with this as much as it seems like when you're watching TV and and all those things. So I I would say, yes, (laughs) I do think it's very real. I just got a. a Email from a parent just this week where it's almost like we're seeing these clusters of girls, friends who where once it's suggested in that group of friends, it's very common for two or more of those girls then to decide that they are bisexual or possibly gay, but bisexual I feel like is more because I feel like they're still feeling it out. Like, I don't know, maybe I want to be that way, maybe I don't. I still kind of think guys are cute, so maybe I can't be totally gay, (laughs) you know? And so I mean, first of all, junior high, middle school is just funky on so many levels. I mean, you guys remember junior high. Like, we didn't know who we were, what we wanted to be. We thought we did. We were figuring it out. And so, you have this very vulnerable cross section of adolescents. But and then also into high school a little bit um, as well, where girls are trying to figure out three core questions. They're trying to find the answers to these questions Am I lovable? Is there a guy out there who would find me attractive, who would want to pursue me? Am I beautiful? Um, the culture is telling me, I, you know, beauty is everything. So do I measure up? Um, and those two questions that I think are really playing into this trend because. <laughs> What I'm hearing from girls is that they have such a desire to be loved, to be given attention, to know that they're beautiful, to know that they have value, that because they're not getting it from guys, because, I mean, let's be honest, in junior high, guys, they're just junior high boys. And then in high school, I feel like there's just a lack of maturity as well. And then... You know even moving up into the 20s like we're not seeing a whole lot of initiative from guys to be leaders and to to do the pursuing of girls and so back then back in junior high and in high school when they have a female friend who shows them that affection and love and says hey i'm attracted to you in that way i've literally heard these words a dozen times i would rather get it from her than not at all And that is really telling. And I think that there's an undercurrent of that, of like we have such a craving for love and and attention and affection and relationship. And girls, I mean, let's be honest, like, it's much easier for girls to like get along with girls in that way. We understand each other. We understand how to like make a girl feel loved because that's how we would want to feel loved. And so I'm seeing these friendships, what used to be just genuine friendship among girls, now with that the bullhorn of the media saying... And you can decide, like, whatever sexual orientation you want, whatever, you know, relationship you want to have, you can have it. That's incredibly tempting for them, especially in these close-knit friend groups. And so we're seeing that their admiration for each other morph into attraction, or at least what they think is attraction.
1: Okay, so, you know, she's talking about middle school, (laughs) I mean,
2: I don't know about you, Thomas, but I mean, do you remember middle school? Ooh, that that that's what comes to mind when I think middle school, Jason. I, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Right.
1: I mean, middle school was not like when I look back on my life. I'm not looking to seventh and eighth grade as like the most prosperous, fun. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> like yes, there were moments, and I'm you know I'm going to remember and cherish. But quite honestly, middle school was not all that fun. If I'm being yeah. completely honest and if our listeners are being completely honest, I mean, we didn't know who we were. We nope. were trying to fit in. Yep. And so I, I don't even know what it's like
2: for a teen girl today in middle school. Well, well, that's just it, Jason, like middle school was awkward and confusing and looking back now, thank God I made it out. Um, And then I've got this, <laughs> you know, I've got this, this eight year old, right. And, and yeah. it's coming, it's coming. And, and I'm not a female. And so this is why this conversation, once again, I know we said this a bunch, but it's so important because it's even helping me figuring out how do I navigate all of these different things um, that are gonna come up in a world and a culture vastly different than the one I grew up in.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, I, I I spend so much time studying sex and sexuality and gender. And what I'm what I'm recognizing too is how little uh, females specifically get to engage in their own sexuality, meaning the, the way in which God created them, their bodies. And uh, uh, there's just so much science that is emerging that actually reinforces in many ways scripture, but just this the dynamic of what the human female body can do. And I just think that we, we've we got to be able to engage that. Uh, one of the things we always talk about is you got to be organic in your conversation. You've got to be able to know what scripture says so you can speak it into the lives of your kids. Uh, but you also have to trust that there is science. And I know that we've got this back and forth around, you know, do we trust it? Do we not? Sometimes this happens in Christian circles. And I just want to say that there, like, science can actually be our friend and reinforce what we are speaking and sharing when it comes to scripture. And one very important aspect, and, and Jesse does a great job of engaging this, and it's the conversation around masturbation. And I don't think that we discuss this enough Uh, specifically females discussing it. Because we talk a lot about it for men, porn and masturbation, but we don't talk a lot about it with women, females. And I think that it needs to be a part of our conversation as parents with our kids. And Jesse does a great job of discussing this, engaging this. And I think what she has to say here is important for us to hear.
0: We talk to young men about masturbation, I would say much more often than it's addressed for girls. And I think there's two reasons for that. One parents are afraid that if they bring up the topic, they might be introducing something to their daughters that they wouldn't have already known about. Or the other is just that it's just really awkward and I don't even want to bring it up. Of course, my daughter would never, you know, be into that. And so we just, you know, don't ask, don't tell. (laughs) And I think, Uh, either approach I think is a miss for parents and we have to be sensitive because there is an element of, you know, you know, your kids, you know, what they've been exposed to, to a certain degree, where they go to school, what friends they have, what they've been watching. I hope as a parent that you have your finger on the pulse of that. Um, and so you have to fill that out as a parent and decide, you know, at, at what level of puberty are they? Are they, um, are they at an age where their bodies are awakening sexually? If so, I will say that there is a much higher probability than you might think that your daughter has either accidentally discovered masturbation or has been exposed to pornography. If she's going to school, she has most certainly heard about it from her public school classmates. And so it's not something that you're probably going to be introducing to her But I will tell you for girls, there is so much shame um, and shame can do so much damage to a girl's heart that the likelihood of her coming to you to discuss this is very small unless you open up the door to conversation yourself.
2: So when Jesse mentions that word shame, and I won't get into all the specifics, but I want to point back to episode six where we got the chance to chat with Michael Cusick and he did a fantastic job, I think, of helping us understand shame and guilt. And Jesse will also talk more about that. But really what I want to highlight is just notice how we often are not talking about these issues and what that does when left unchecked, especially to our ladies, Right, we live in a society that that men have the the quote unquote freedom to discuss all these things, and yet we don't do it with our women. And so, what that means is, and I've said this before, when there's not a place of safety and and vulnerability can't occur, and we can't ask questions, uh, that's where that shame piece comes in, and that's where the disconnect comes in. So, I think this is valuable. I think it's helpful, and just peeking back, peeling back the curtain, if you will, so we can really help each other.
0: I I would say always lead with questions are a great way to open up conversation instead of starting with telling, but asking and finding out from them, is this something that, that they're aware of? I think the most damaging thing that could happen is not you talking about it to your kids, but them feeling like they are trapped in an addiction that they don't know how to get out of And the shame that encompasses that is just crippling. I know from personal experience and I know from other young women as young as, I would say nine, 10 is very common. I've had girls write to me who said that it started for them as young as six.
1: Something we always say is isolation can drive us away from our creator. Uh, We often say we hurt in isolation, but we heal in community and God has given us community and we need to remember that. We need to remember that so often our kids are going to hurt in isolation and that is our own doing. If we're not engaging with them, asking them important questions, it can lead them to not want to engage in or engage maybe just with their friends and that is not the place we want them to be getting information. So what do we want to do? We want to we want to be a part of that community. And our kids do want to engage this and they do want real information and you as a parent have the opportunity to provide this, to bring them out of hiding and allow for them to be seen and allow whatever they're going through to be placed in the light.
0: It's an uphill battle, but it is possible to help teach them to recognize the lies that they're speaking about themselves, whether it's, I made a mistake, so I'm never going to do anything right. Um, and that could apply in lots of different areas of life, Um, or whether it's, I'm not beautiful enough, like any of these lies that the enemy seems to particularly love to whisper to young women, to help them recognize those and then to help them develop truth sentences that they can literally take that lie, pull it down and speak truth in their mind to themselves. It's so powerful and it completely affects the emotions that follow. When we feel these big emotions, it's super important to recognize what thought p- pattern is influencing those emotions. Cause we only will feel what we've previously thought. And so to physically actually write down those true sentences and to be able to speak them over themselves. So, when it's surrounding sexuality, uh, you know, there's this feeling of, I haven't just done something wrong, but I am something wrong. And so to disentangle that and instead to rewrite the narrative of, I am not something wrong. I just did something wrong. And there's this thing called godly sorrow that can pump me up and get me ready to do better next time and to fight the battle against my sin. um, But I don't that zeal can propel me forward. I don't have to wallow in shame and misery because that's exactly what the enemy would want me to do. Um, so I think as parents, we can help model that by talking openly about our own failures, about the things that we've messed up on, either in our past um, or in our present, and to, to model how we've changed our thought patterns and instead you know, rewritten the narrative moving forward instead of just assuming that we're always going to be where we are today.
2: All right. You see it. There it is. That shame, that guilt. And I love the idea of those truth statements, those truth sentences, something we say in our house as well. And we see big emotions is really trying to wrestle with, well, where's that coming from? What, What narrative are you hearing or are you speaking to where those emotions surface at the top? Gosh, yeah.
1: That I you, you I've heard you say that before and I think that the, that is so so helpful and I and I appreciate what Jesse's doing with the truth sentences because I think that's really powerful um, what we speak into our life becomes power becomes real um she actually tackles this and and gives us three truth sentences that she shares with young women as she's engaging in conversation with them
0: yeah the top three truth sentences I think directly correlate to the three core questions that girls have so the first question is you know am i lovable and so the first true sentence is that you are lovable not and that that lovability does not does not mean that you're perfect and it does not mean that it that you necessarily will get married someday you're the the fact that you are inherently lovable is demonstrated in the fact that god chose to move heaven and earth to be with you and so you don't need a man to validate that you don't need a status to validate that you don't need a job to validate that so you are lovable would be the you are loved you are dearly loved and would be the first true sense. the second one directly correlates to the question, am I beautiful? This is a big question for girls and goes back to, again, the way that God has hardwired us as women. And so the true sentence that goes with that could take an hour unpacking this, but I believe that God has designed women to be inherently beautiful. Eve was designed to be the beautiful counterpart to Adam, and it did not require her to be a certain outfit size. It did not require her to have a certain skin color, hair texture, eye color. She was inherently beautiful just by being woman, and so that truth sentence is: "I am beautiful because I am a woman," and that um, is something that takes a lot of massaging. It doesn't <laughs> inherently ring true to us as girls because we're fed so much media uh, rhetoric around what perfection and what beauty looks like, youth and sexuality, and all of these things that are tangled up in there. And the third question that we wrestle with as girls is, is there a God who would love me and accept me despite everything I've done? And so that true sentence is, yes, there is a God who loves me and accepts me and wants to be with me and near me despite everything that I've done. Whether that's being mean to my siblings or whether that's having a sexual relationship with my boyfriend, whatever that sin is in her life that she feels shameful over to know that there is a God who forgives and loves and offers hope and a future and light and a good life to those who follow him. Um, and that that's powerful. That That has the ability to change the trajectory of a young woman's life.
2: All right. So once again, you see the power and the truth statements. You see Jesse's top three truth sentences uh, that she would share with young women. Let me take that for you and just switch lanes for a moment on the same road here, but just switch lanes because from those truth statements, what we want to do is we want to see how can we help our young girls uh, develop the resilience, develop the ability, the strength, To live in those statements and guard themselves, guard themselves from coercion, guard themselves from abuse, letting those statements speak truth into how they not just project and perceive themselves, but how others even interact with them. While I say all that, Jesse's going to do a much better job of explaining to us what's the reality that some of these ladies have to go through and how powerful it can be just to say no
0: in the church we're always encouraging our girls to be good and sweet and kind which are all good things but when it comes to our sexuality and just our our physical bodies girls have to have a little bit of like a stubborn mean streak like it just it has to be there because guys can be very persuasive whether they're junior high boys or 40-year-old men or even nowadays even other female friends and so This conversation, I would encourage if you have little ones at home, this conversation can start even when they're young, like two and three. I see so often um, for us with our girls, it started young where I started to notice that we were telling them, aren't you going to give so-and-so a hug or telling them like, okay, like give them a kiss, give them a hug. And while there is an element of teaching our kids with relatives, you know, to be affectionate, to... That there are safe people in this world i also think in today's day and age it's important for us to help girls understand that their body is their own and they can say no to physical affection at any point at any time no questions asked and so we've started to we started to do this with our own girls at an early age where it would be a question like, "Would you like to give them a hug?" if if the relative you know is giving, and if they kind of shied away, we'd say, "That's okay. You don't have to," you know. And and sometimes that created awkwardness with our relatives. <laughs> but I I would rather create awkwardness with my relatives than allow my daughters to think that they have to give affection when asked. I've talked to too many young women and seen too many just. Poor endings where girls did not know that they had the right to say no um, to a relative or to a friend or to a boyfriend. And as they get older um, to an age where you're talking about physical relationships and about sex and about um, dating and those things, I think that has to be a part of the conversation. Even as we're talking to them about the family rules of, you know, you have to be home by this time or, you know, you can't be alone in the car, whatever your family rules are at that point in time to begin saying that if you ever feel uncomfortable, you know, this is what, this is what I need you to do. You know, don't worry about being nice at that time, you know, punch them in the face, <laughs> You know, whatever it is, like to, to help them feel empowered because I, there's something I think inherently in us as women or how God has designed men and women for men to lead in a relationship and even to lead sexually in a relationship and so I don't know if that's playing into it, but it's very hard for young women to say no, especially when they're being told, I love you, especially when they're being told you're beautiful, because those are those core questions that we have. And if someone is going to answer those in the affirmative, it's almost like, you know, we would do anything for them. So yeah, I, I don't know if that completely answers your question, but I think empowering our girls to... Um, To be okay, being mean, hurting someone's feelings, being firm, saying no, having hard lines that they are not willing to cross for anyone or anything are really important.
1: So let's do one more pivot because one area that we haven't discussed, and I I really wanted to make sure Jesse took some time to engage this, is the topic of modesty.
0: Well, how I view modesty is probably shaped a little bit by my own experience growing up in a very conservative kind of fundamentalist environment. Um, I, I definitely, whether it was taught or whether I just picked this up on my own, felt like it was my responsibility to keep the men around me and the, the boys around me from lusting after my body um, by making sure that everything was covered up. But on the flip side, I also wanted to be able to dress cute. And to what I saw as cute was what I saw in magazines, what I saw on TV. I was not trying to be sexually enticing to people around me, but I just Wanted to be cute because I had that question: "Am I beautiful?" That core question as a female, um, and so that that colored my experience growing up because I feel like I had kind of the evil eye pointed at me quite a bit um, by <laughs> adults in my life, um, and so as I've gotten older, have kind of reevaluated as I understand um, God's word a little bit more, as I understand my responsibility and a man's responsibility a little more. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I think it's just opened up my eyes to see. I think there's two sides to this coin. Yes, men are more visual creatures. Yes, they can be turned on sexually by seeing more of a woman's body. Yes, I can serve my brother in Christ by choosing to wear things that are not going to intentionally inflame sexual desire. On the flip side of that coin, It is not my responsibility to keep someone else from sinning. In fact, in our over-sexualized culture, I don't know that I physically can wear enough clothing (laughs) that would keep someone else from having lustful thoughts if their mind is caught up in the sin of lust. Um, And so for our own family and for my own daughters, we're trying to walk this balance in between the two where I'm trying to teach my daughters just the the physical, um, nature of guys. My husband is, you know, trying to teach his daughters that yes, men can be more visual creatures and you need to be aware of that. If you want guys to be looking you in the eyes, you can help that by making sure that you're covering parts of your body that, you know, can be covered up. But on the flip side, we're coming alongside and, and I have one, um, daughter who is more, I would say, uh, would err more on the side of being overly modest. Like she's, she's worried about um, showing too much skin. And so for her, I'm trying to help her be confident and it's okay to wear shorts. Goodness girl, they go down to your fingertips. Like <laughs> you're, you're good, <laughs> you know, to allow her to be confident in her own skin and in her body and to help her understand that it is not um, her responsibility to keep the people around her from sinning, but to just enjoy the body that God has made for her. It's strong and it's going to get her places. She can run with it. She can ride bikes. She can do archery. She can do broom hockey, like all these things that she loves doing and to put the focus more there rather than just on the beauty of her body that might be enticing to someone else. Um, so it's, uh, I don't want to come with any hard and fast rules because I feel like that's what I was given as a kid. And that, um, uh, I think did some damage to me, but I also don't want to swing the pendulum so far in the other way to tell our daughters where, whatever you want. And it's a guy's, it's only a guy's responsibility. Um, it's, it's tricky. It really is a tricky uh, topic, especially when it comes to our own daughters, but I'm, I'm trying to find a balance there uh, between the two.
1: I always want to pause for just a moment when I hear others, specifically women, leaders in the church, like Jesse, that talk about modesty. Because here's the thing. I I think that the way we have engaged in this conversation has done more harm than good. And I think Jesse is getting to that. You know, it was interesting growing up, and I don't know for you, Thomas, if you ever had a conversation as a male about modesty. I did not. No. <laughs> and I didn't either. I do remember however, how often at church retreats, gatherings, there was a conversation with the women. And I look back and I just I I, I the thing that I often reflect reflect on as a an educator as as someone that is is passionate about what God says about sex sexuality, gender what I find is most disheartening oftentimes is the inconsistency that we're not very consistent in the way that we discuss this. And I, I feel like this is so true with modesty. Like why, why are we not talking about how men can be modest? I'm not talking just about the way that they wear clothes. I'm talking about overall our language, the way we engage, the way we like, even like respect could be a part of modesty and opening doors, closing uh, doors, like, like watching out, for others, like that just doesn't get discussed. And I, I do appreciate that there's, she says there's no one size that fits all and that it's not her responsibility to stop someone else from sinning. But I think that if we're really going to do modesty, well here with our own kids, then there has to be consistency. I, I, well, I mean, what do you think about that, Thomas? I mean,
2: you're a pastor, you're a father. That's a great thought. And from, from my, what I can ascertain here is, when people refer to modesty, they're, they're actually just referring to what people wear. Yeah. We, we don't care about hearts. We don't care about uh, what's going on in the mind. It's just, are you, are you covered up or not? Um, and so that will never actually get to uh, the root of the issue or never actually deal with what's going on, which is why I love what Jesse goes. Listen, it, it's not my responsibility uh, to stop a male um, who's not even saying struggle with lust, but who's just visual, from going down that path, I said Amen, in like my 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 soul when when she said that line because I want to have the balance, right? I want to navigate that tension again of saying, yeah, what you wear matters, but that's true for everybody, right? Let's have yeah. that conversation with everybody. What we wear, what we wear matters. Yeah. On the flip side, I don't want to to relegate and and dominate our ladies to having to live a certain life because men can't control themselves and haven't been taught yeah. how to control their minds and, and, and hearts. Yeah.
1: I, you know, if you've been engaging in this episode, the one thing that we'll say as we know, we're talking about young girls, teen girls, uh, we will engage in this conversation around young men and, and boys. And because that, that, that is also an important conversation. And I, and I would hope that this conversation around modesty comes back up, that we can engage it again. I I love the way that Jesse, though, gives some concluding thoughts and, and they're incredibly relevant, something that we advocate for here on this podcast often. And it's just the way we engage our children in the relationship that we are building with them.
0: Uh, Mark Gregston uh, of Parenting Today's Teens, his mantra is as long as you have relationship, you have influence. And I have found that to be true in my own parenting journey, and I've seen it to be true in families across America, to where if we're as parents just getting on our soapbox and trying to combat culture and telling our kids, like, oh, the culture's lying to you, you can't believe anything that they say. Our teens are just going to shut down and shut off. They can smell a judgmental person 500 miles away. They just, they're really in tune to that. And so as parents to have conversations that are based in the truth of scripture without being preachy, but helping them think through questions on their own. For for the most part I find teens are logical if we give them the chance to wrestle through these things on their own and not not force them to decide between their friendships and truth, not not force them to, you know, make the decisions that we would make, but to remember that they also are young men and women who have to own these things on their own just like we've wrestled through. We have to give our kids the opportunity to wrestle through those things. And remember that the Holy Spirit is living and active. If they are believers, that the Holy Spirit is doing his work in their life. We don't have to play Holy Spirit. We can guide them to truth. We can bring resources into their life that are gonna present truth. They're gonna present goodness and light and hope, Um, but we can't force them to see the error in the culture's narratives. We have to just display it and pray.
2: <laughs> as this episode is winding down, there has been a lot of information given, a lot of good information that you might have to go back and listen to again. But here's what I want you to remember the word opportunity. Everything we've discussed in this episode, everything we've discussed in any of our episodes, allows you, as the parent, the opportunity to move one step closer. To your children, to just get one step closer on a particular topic or issue, and build greater intimacy between you and your child. And let me just conclude with
1: one other thought on this. I think that one of the things that happens is we can, as parents, move or hope that that uh, our kids become more and more dependent on us. But I think one of our goals, and I heard this said by another Christian leader, and it was this that. Our goal as parents is not for us to have them more and more dependent on us, but to move them from dependency on us as parents to dependency on God. And I really love the way Jesse proclaims that here as we close out. One of the things that we worked really hard on for the Sex Plus Christian Parents podcast is to not have advertisers. So you'll see no advertisements throughout the course of each of the episodes. And that's because of the generosity, maybe of people like you that support the work of Project 619. And for that, we are incredibly grateful. Thank you. But we also wanted to give opportunity. If you have been getting resources and information from the Sex Plus Christian Parent podcast we have a great opportunity for you to come along and support this work and receive exclusive content by partnering with us. And it's simply going to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash project 619. That's project spelled out, the number six spelled out, S I X, the numbers one nine. And you will be able to find all of the opportunities available to you to partner monthly. And in that, there will be rewards, exclusive content, resources that are only available to our Patreon listeners. So please go check it out, patreon.com forward slash project 619. And we look forward to having you participate in the next episode. I'm Jason. And I'm Thomas. Until next time, we'll see you then.